Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Welcome to episode 19 of On Air. The Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. As always, I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project. The Ohio Hockey Project's mission is to positively shape the dynamic and landscape of the Cleveland hockey community through comprehensive player development and a lifelong commitment to helping each and every athlete to maximize their potential and reach their hockey goals. With over 85 years of cultivative experience to draw from, The staff provides athletes with every ounce of knowledge, experience, and passion they have. The staff consists of current and former professional, collegiate, and junior players who have all come through the various ranks of Cleveland hockey and are committed to making athletes' goals and needs their number one priority. Last week, we sat down with head coach of the Bowling Green Bobcat High School hockey team, Mr. Jamie Ruffner, joined us along with senior captain Dylan Cox. After being gone for a year, Coach Ruffer led the boys back in season one. And while being proud of their past, they know that they are writing new chapters in the history of their team. I kind of found it interesting how he kept saying, that is the past. We have to reinvent ourselves. I I understand that process, but the tradition of that that program has got to to stay the the foundation of of that program as well. Yeah, I think that's, I guess, the main gist of what he was talking about was that you know, they're, they're not ducking from it. They're not denying it. They're proud of it. And they should be. But like he said, you know, they're going to have a bullseye on their back because of who they are. And, and, and they weren't, they weren't a fan. I shouldn't say a fan favorite. They, they, they weren't a favorite team to play against. They were tough. I mean, every time you played a BG team, you knew that it was going to be a rough game and rightly so it should be. It's hockey. I get it. I, I thought it was very upbeat. I thought uh, coach Ruffner was, was fun to listen to. But no, I thought that Coach Ruffner uh, was was fun to talk to. He has he has a an upbeat way of thinking about how hard it was going to be to start again. They went through their ups and downs, you know. They 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 ended on a great note, and hopefully that leads to you know good yeah, things in the future. And, and I I can appreciate like not just dwelling on the past, uh, understanding the past, understanding the the history of the program, but knowing that it's not that now. There's a lot of schools like that. <laughs> there's a lot. Huh. Huh. Right? Yeah, you, you can't, you can't, there's only so long you can sit on coattails before you get flipped off the back. Right. So, it, it, so I appreciate him talking about uh, understanding the past, but trying to create new chapters in that book, if you will. Then we finished our second part in the series with Warrior Hockey rep Steve Rimshaw. From playing professionally in Europe to coaching in Michigan, Steve is definitely full of life and helping grow the game every way possible. 
you couldn't have asked for a, a, a better two-parter. Um, I mean, Jay, you and I have had the uh, opportunity uh, to become friends with Steve over the past, I don't know, 12 years or whatever it may have been. Uh, so having, having him come on and just share his uh, stories, but also share his expertise in, in the game of hockey uh, on what he's lived through, it was, it was, man, we had a lot of fun, but I'll tell you what, I'm sure our listeners got to hear some quality, quality uh, uh, hockey information. You know, Steve is, we could have had about a six parter with Steve, the stories that he tells. And we're on episode 19 right now. That was the first time we had, I guess, what you consider a long time friend of ours. Yeah. So it was an interesting chat. It was fun to hear him retell some of the stories we'd heard before. Um, it was interesting. A lot of his takes on coaching, on philosophy, on, on, I mean, he's coached at midget major level all the way to a U6 level. I mean, he's run the gamut on, on personalities on the ice and how to deal with it. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of stories he, he didn't tell and couldn't tell, but he's, he's a character, man. He's, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Right, it was. It was. All right, well, this week we sit down with head coach of Denison University Ice Hockey, Mr. Jeff German. Since taking over in 2014, Coach German has helped put Denison on the map of the ACHA hockey schools. Last season, the Big Red moved from Division Three to Division Two, upping the ante and providing the team even better competition. Then we were very fortunate to have the opportunity to sit down with a member of the New York Rangers organization fresh off his stay in the bubble in Toronto. Tim Gettinger will be our guest today. Tim got his start locally with the Cleveland Barons before heading to the Ontario Hockey League's Sioux Greyhounds. Drafted in the fifth round by the New York Rangers, 141st overall in the 2016 NHL entry draft, we're excited to have Tim on today to learn about his career and what it was like to make the jump from the American League and the NHL from Major Junior. Uh, also looking uh, very interested in hearing what he had to say about his stay in the bubble uh, as everyone's pretty much glued uh, to the TV watching hockey from noon till, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning these days. So I look forward to talking to him about those things. We have some fun, interesting guests today, but first let's catch up with the boys. Lev, I know you, you took yourself a little vacation, huh? Yeah, we decided to get out of town to a, a rock concert for four days. I know it wasn't truly a rock concert, but one of the guys there decided that every song that was played needed to be played at decibel uh, uh, 3000. And uh, no, it was great to get away. Uh, it was very quiet for the most part. It was relaxing. Weather was fantastic. Uh, did play a little golf, played very, very poorly. However, I had a lot of fun and, and uh, now it was just cool to get away with uh, the old boys and do what we do when we get together. Happy 21st, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, well, you, you sent me a picture of your getup that you um, slept in. And, and, yes. and for our listeners that don't know, and, and where you went, where you, you, you and your, your group of buddies have a, a piece of property up in Pennsylvania, correct? Yes, we, we have an 85-acre tree farm. Uh, on that 85 acres is a home. It's a residence of, of a, a gentleman that owns the whole 85 and we own the hunting cabin on the back of the 85 acres. Uh, so there's only really one bedroom. So there's three beds. So Lev, Danny, Lev sends me this setup that he has, right? It's a hammock that he obviously stretched between two trees. He's got a bug net 
and a A-frame, A-frame rain tarp, tarp over the hammock. And he, he claims it's like sleeping with, what did you say, zero gravity? Jake? Zero gravity, buddy. Uh, okay. I'm All just right. telling you, you get in that thing and you're just swinging there and the breeze is blowing over you and it's quiet until about four o'clock in the morning and then the coyotes go off. Yeah, see, that's that right there. I'm out. Well, see, no, but you know they're not going to come into where we're located in a camp because it's too loud. Jay, I've been at that camp with you, and I've been there when you guys, well, when the other couple guys that were there yeah. with us that weekend yeah. skinned and gutted two deers, like yeah. literally two feet from the trees that you were hanging from. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I know what's in those trees, man. Well, see, what's, what's interesting about that is, so we had a guy, they, they brought their smoker. The one guy brought his smoker. And so we had uh, meats smoking overnight. Yeah, and coyotes. 50 feet from where, 30, 20 feet from where I'm at. 20 feet, 50 was way too long. 20 feet from where I'm at. So they had a brisket going for roughly 18 to 20 hours. That would be the first night I heard the coyotes down the hill. So then Saturday night, about four o'clock, I, 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 my eyes open up and I hear coyotes cackling and then howling. And I'm like, wow, this isn't good. So then, I, you know, I have to get up, you know, cause I'm old. I had to go to the bathroom. So I got up, went to the bathroom and I came back and I laid back down and I'm like, Oh, I can go back to sleep. And then it sounded like the coyotes were up the hill. So the good news was it was, it was too busy. You know, there were cars everywhere. It was like everybody drove by themselves. Uh, the campfire was still kind of going pretty much all the time from, Wednesday night through Sunday morning. And uh, so it kept the bears away. I know there's a bear in the area, at least how, one. How high off the ground are you in this little contraption that well, you call a bed? Well, mo if you know me, you know I'm not very tall. Well, yeah. So <laughs> uh, I would say, I don't know, I'm probably three, four feet off the ground. Okay, here's my question. Danny, there's a lot of them, dude. There's a lot of questions going and on. I, it's safe to assume you you were having a few pops, correct? Oh, 100% safe, so, safe assumption. Do you ever have too many pops to where you like you can't get out of the hammock or you forget you're in your hammock and then No. Like you fall off no, four I feet. Well, 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 I could tell you one of two ways here. You know me. I never have that if I'm suspended in 4 feet in the air. I'm never too out there four feet in the air. Now, have there been times early on? This isn't the first time I've slept in a hammock. Has there been a time where I may or may not have had eh, borderline and I might have uh, not lined myself up correctly and went right off the back? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, I flung myself out of that before. Is the hammock padded? Uh, there's a uh, sleeping pad in it, yes. Because the bottom can get pretty chilly because it does it we're up in the mountains it does get chilly at night so yes i have a pad in it it was comfortable i'm telling you your back would feel amazing if you slept in this i i literally i i don't know when you sent me that thing i was like this does doesn't look i don't know what what, what concerned me was like i said i've been there before yep and and i know the kind of um uh, wildlife if you will that yes. roams around the hunting. It, it's the reason why they call it a hunting cabin. Yes. Because there's animals roaming around that you guys hunt. 
let's put it this way. If, if, if I were to lean out of the, out of the hammock and let's just say coyote was sniffing around, I could have probably popped him right on the top of the head. Yes. If a bear was there, he probably, I was in a soft taco for a bear. Yes. And you didn't, this didn't, you weren't concerned at all. You just got in there and like, Hey, look at me. I'm going to bed. Well, why it doesn't concern me. I'm going to put this as gentle as possible. Numerous guys have numerous firearms on them while we're no, I know, but they're sleeping. They're not in a hammock. So no, there there are guys there that have firearms on them. They're either ex-military or current uh, uh, law enforcement personnel that, and some are just hunters. So they have weapons on them. And so I know the the one guy that that is in a hammock near me. Uh, he knows where mine is, and he knows to shoot high or shoot low. Don't shoot through the middle of it or I'm gone. <laughs> hey, sounds like a great vacation. Huh, yeah, Danny? it was awesome. Oh, it was awesome. Any other questions about the sleeping arrangement? No, 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 no. Did no. you get any Look rain? This. No, actually. Since you had the tarp was, set up? Uh, no, I did not. Although I was in it two years ago, and it was absolutely pouring. And it got annoying at first, but then it, as the rain started to soften, I guess, it sounded like you're sleeping under a tin roof, and it was just tapping, and it was – melodic if you will put me right out no free ads but where do you get it uh, where do you get a contraption like this uh no free ads rei okay you can find them on wilderness uh wilderness shop type uh do you have enough room in there oh yeah plenty mine's a mine's double wide i'm not double wide <laughs> got a double wide i got myself a double wide <laughs> uh so dan everything good with you moves good everything's good everything's getting, good getting back to school uh, yeah, so um, we have – we're going all virtual okay. the first nine weeks. So we have teachers reporting next week, and then they get two weeks of just straight professional development to get prepped, do everything they need to, and then the kids start the week after – or Monday after – Tuesday after Labor Day. So, I mean, I'm just busy trying to get – different professional development classes set up and what technology and stuff we're using. So the teachers are ready to roll on day one. Gotcha. gotcha. How about yourself? How about well, yourself? I know I just, I had a, a good weekend, good week. Um, just trying to catch again, get caught up at work and um, we're heading back as well. Our teachers come on, on August 31st. Uh, students come back on the 16th. I'm going to go visit another school tomorrow just to kind of see what they're, um, what they look like, what it looks like uh, going to school uh, in the middle of a pandemic. So that, you know, just trying to get that going. Um, I did see something online and, and I thought it was kind of funny. And, you know, I, I never would say that I, I put more alcohol in my hands than I do in my mouth. Um, so it is what it is, you know. Uh, I, I've put more hand sanitizer on my hands. That I have uh, uh, ruined my steering wheel in my car. It is like taking the, the leather off of the, the steering wheel. But anyhow... Um, that's for a different show. I, I really, really, uh, we're supposed to hear something in Ohio tomorrow from our governor on contact sports. So we're, we'll hear, hopefully have something to report next week and next, uh, uh, episode 20. It's the middle of August. That means it's almost hockey season. Uh, we think, uh, before we get questions about everything, let's hop on the digest and see what's making news in the world of hockey today.
There's no better way to get your company's message across to the hockey fans in and around the state of Ohio than advertising on Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington today at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com. By the time we drop this episode of the On Air Podcast, the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning will be preparing for Friday's Game 6 of their Eastern Conference quarterfinal series, if necessary. As we record, however, game four is underway. Probably just finished. I don't know. Dan, you got an update for us? We got a minute 15 left. Columbus is down two to one, empty net. They got some good pressure right now, though, so I'll keep you posted. Thank you. Columbus under game four, trailing in the series two games to one, following a three to two loss on Saturday. Cam Atkinson returned to the lineup after missing games two and three. What's your thoughts on the five-overtime game itself? What do you guys think? Oh. I think, it, I think it, it, it took a major effect on both teams. I agree with you. I think Columbus coming off of the, uh, that series, the play-in series against Toronto, and then turning around and going into five OTs with Tampa, who is another quick, uh, quick-skilled team. It, it's, I mean, hell, it's, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs, man. Nobody's 100%. Everybody's battling and grinding. The, the, I guess the, the real benefit, they didn't have to travel. So yeah, they yeah, basically right. just went to their hotel and slept, uh, hopefully slept the whole next day. Yeah. They, yeah, they actually uh, – Tortorella gave them the day off. Uh, they came back – I understand he gave them the day off, and then they played last night, day off, or whatever. They've had some days off there. He's managing yeah. not only their mental but also their physical side of it. Yeah. Um, Seth – well, let's talk about Corpusalo first. 85 saves. Guy was outstanding. It was ridiculous to watch him play. Someone's got to lose that game. Felt terrible for that guy because he played well. I love how they gave him all three stars. Yes. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, like we talked about last last week or whatever, that Columbus in a good situation with Corposalo and Merz Lincolns and, and you know, one, one and one A in net, and Corposalo got the call. And, I mean, both him and Vasilevsky just played unreal. I mean, up and down the ice for five overtimes. My God. And then just to turn around and, and see Seth Jones played 65 minutes. 65 minutes. And he didn't even look tired. <laughs> no, it was his post game. He's like, I'm good. Like they asked, how, how, how are you feeling after 65 minutes time on ice? And he's like, I'm good. I mean, dude, dude's a machine. Boston Bruins goaltender Tuka Rask left the NHL bubble in Toronto on Saturday, saying there are more important things in his life than hockey and expressing a desire to be with his family. Rask made headlines earlier in the week when he referred to life in the bubble as dull at times. The Bruins defeated the Carolina Hurricanes Saturday with Yaroslav Halak in net to take a 2-1 lead in their best-of-seven Eastern Conference quarterfinals. What do you guys think about Tuka Rask leaving the bubble? Did he bail on his teammates, or well, is there an underlying family issue that made him rethink his life in the bubble? Why, why did he leave? Uh, I've heard a rumor that it was uh, something about a difficult pregnancy for his wife. Okay. Well, we don't know why he left. 100%. So no one needs to make a judgment on whether or not he bailed on his teammates or not. 100%. If, if the organization is supporting him, which they are, and his teammates support because obviously he had to tell his teammates before he made this decision, or rightly, you know, he he didn't have to, but it's the right move, and he did. We don't really know why he left. He didn't just say, you know what, this is dumb. I'm out. 
I'm, I'm bored. I'm out. There had to be a real issue or a real reason making him think that, you know, this probably isn't the best time for me to be away. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's, I think it's terrible. I mean, so I've seen some of the comments on online and whatever, and people hide behind freaking keyboards all day long. So it doesn't, whatever. Right. And I know to, to, I don't know him personally, but I know he's, he's a professional. So he's, he takes it for what is where he's making the right decision for him and his family. We don't know why he left. I mean, he made a comment, what, earlier in the year that said, or earlier in the, the week that said that life in the bubble is dull. Oh. All right. Well, okay. And then maybe something happened. I don't know. I'm not saying he bailed on his teammates because I don't know why he left. Right. Nobody no. does. Right. So, so everyone should have no opinion about it. I mean, he, he's, he's a Stanley Cup champion. He's one of the best goaltenders in the world. He plays on one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. He's right. not just leaving for no reason. No, he's right. bored. Stop it. You're right. He didn't bail on anybody. Those guys are professionals. They all have families. I'm assuming it's something. And that's an assumption because right, right. I, I don't know. And we'll never know. And who cares? Right. And if it does come out to where he makes a statement and he's like, hey, I had enough. I didn't want to be stuck in the bubble anymore. And again, that, that's going to be interesting because we're going to get to talk to Tim Gettinger today about life in the bubble. If it does come out that he says, I'm, I just had enough of it. Well, all right. Well, then, then, then there's that discussion, right? But, but you know, oh, he bailed on his teammates. He did this. We don't know why. And that's why I asked you. Well, why do you leave? Well, right. I heard. Well, that's we don't, right. don't know. It's just, yeah. Hey, we do have an update. Uh, Tampa beat uh, Columbus two to two one. one. Okay. They now have a three to one series lead at time of recording. Ohio University has postponed their 2020-2021 season as they await further instruction on when it will be safe to resume operations in light of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Both D1 and D2 ACHA teams released statements last week citing the health risk to players and Bird Arena staff. We are awaiting further direction from Ohio University, the state of Ohio, and the CDC for when it will be safe for our teams to start our season, said the D1 team statement. The health and safety of our players and staff is our top priority. The Post pointed out that the D1 club had a strong young core with 11 sophomores. They are no doubt chomping at the bit to get on the ice. OU's Division I head coach, Cole Bell, had this to say about the suspension of the season. I don't know if bittersweet is the right word, but you know it's definitely unfortunate that we can't get back together and get the guys together and start our season on time. Um, obviously, we want to make sure our players and staff health and safety is first, so you know, that, that's, that's the part that makes sense and, and uh, you know, a step that we felt was necessary, especially given the uh, um, regulations from the state of Ohio and, and CDC uh, suggestions and, and everything else that went into it. And even our students aren't uh, coming back to campus right away. They, the university came out with a, a phased return, so I'm hoping to get them back on campus sometime late September, early October. Um you know, it, at this point, it, it kind of is what it is, and, and we have to find a way to make it the most of it. Um, but we are pretty confident we will have a season. Um, it just uh, right now we're, we're not scheduling any games until January, and I know the Nationals national tournament already got pushed back um, to late April. Following their elimination from the NHL postseason at the hands of the Carolina Hurricanes, the New York Rangers won phase two of the NHL draft lottery, giving them the number one overall pick in the 2020 NHL entry draft. Quebec league winger 
Alexi Lafreniere is this year's consensus top prospect, but Sudbury Wolves center Quinton Byfield remains a possibility. We look forward to discussing this with Rangers winger, North Olmsted native Tim Gettinger today when we sit down for our discussion. The Erie Otters traded overage goaltender Daniel Murphy to the Niagara Ice Dogs on Friday in exchange for a third-round pick in the 2024 Ontario Hockey League draft. Erie entered the offseason with five overage players. Each OHL team is permitted only three on its roster, which forced the hand of Otters general manager Dave Brown. The Otters now have only one goaltender with OHL experience, 17-year-old Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania native Aiden Campbell. The six foot five, 190 pound Campbell, a product of the Pittsburgh Penguins elite program in the T1 EHL, played in 26 games as the backup in Erie last season and as a prospect for the 2020 NHL draft. Former Miami and Ohio State forward Carson Meyer was not signed by the Columbus Blue Jackets by the August 15th deadline and is now an unrestricted free agent. Meyer from Powell, Ohio, was a six round pick of the Blue Jackets in 2017. He played two seasons at Miami before transferring to Ohio State, where he played the last two seasons. Meyer put up a career-high 31 points in 35 games as a senior this past season. Another Powell native, 2001-born forward Colin Daly, has re-signed with the Hampton Roads Junior Whalers of the United States Premier Hockey League. Daly recorded 25 points in 45 games with the Whalers last season. Both Meyer and Daly are products of the Ohio AAA Blue Jacket program. Hey, just I want to go touch back real quick to uh, the Erie Otters yes. and, and their goaltender, Aiden Campbell. <laughs> Six foot five goaltender, Jay. <laughs> and you know what? All right. All right. So I'm watching the NHL playoffs and I notice a bunch of very tall goaltenders playing down on their knees and they're getting absolutely lit up up above their shoulders. Now we have a friend of ours who is a goalie pundit, if you will, who keeps arguing that why are they down so low? You're six, five and above even on their knees. Is this a case of they're on their knees and they're too low or are they on their knees at the wrong time? Or are these shooters just that good that they're just sending rockets right near their ear? Well, being on your knees at six foot five gets you where you probably need to be, but are you balanced or unbalanced? I mean, that's what, yeah. right. If you're on, if you're unbalanced, if you're not, you know, square, then obviously a good shooter will be able to pick that apart. hundred percent. But, but I just find it 17 years old, uh, Aiden Campbell out of Pittsburgh, out of Cranberry, Pittsburgh area, uh, six foot five, 190 pounds. It's a pretty impressive frame to be in net at that age. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good luck to him. I'm going to, I'm going to follow him around. Cause I think that kid, We'll have somewhere to go. He sounds like a uh, another goaltender we know of from Cleveland named Colin Purcell. Yes. Who's another very tall goaltender that has a promising future. Yes. The Ohio Hockey Digest is looking for writers to help cover the great game of hockey in and around Ohio. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out more about opportunities to contribute content to the website and the on-air podcast. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project. The Ohio Hockey Project skill development process is an innovative and progressive as it gets. 
Their educational process maximizes time away from the ice where they enrich the athlete's life skills. They discuss critical topics such as nutrition, goal setting, attitude, work ethic, preparation, performance training, and injury prevention. The fun delivery and overall process instills confidence and passion in athletes. Well, Jay, the bus has pulled into Granville, Ohio. Time to get on air with the head coach of Denison University Big Red, Jeff German. Our first guest comes to us from Granville, Ohio. He grew up playing his minor and junior hockey in Detroit, as well as San Diego, California. He has been at the helm of the Denison University Big Reds since 2015 and has led them through the ACHA's Division Three. now having one year under their belt in the ACHA Division Two. Not only is he a college head coach, he also coaches high school and finds time to be a singer and songwriter. We are hoping to sit and think and talk to him a little <laughs> bit today. Please welcome on air head coach of the Denison University Big Red and the Jeff German and the Blankety Blanks, Mr. Jeff German. Welcome, coach. Thanks. I appreciate it. I see you did your digging. <laughs> oh, no, yes, the, we did. Oh, yes, we did. And I, I hope it. it's good, man. I enjoyed it. Yeah, good. I hope, you buy, I hope you buy it. Enjoyed, you know. it. enjoyed it. Don't just listen to it on Spotify. You know, I get 35,000 listeners a month and I get like 18 cents in the mail. So it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, coach, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, talk about how you got started in hockey and, and your career or your, your pathway to uh, hockey. Well, you know, as a kid growing up in Detroit, um, you know, I'm an old guy. So this was the seventies and uh, my dad actually was very fundamental in starting the Lincoln Park Hockey Association up in the Detroit area. He was the founding. We Actually, Lincoln Park didn't even have an ice rink at the time. The only indoor ice was E-Course. Um, everything else was outdoor. And I think the, they had a couple of places in Detroit, the Winter Wonderland and uh, some places. Anyway, so he, he, uh, he said, hey, you want to play hockey? I think I was probably seven or eight years old. My brother and I started playing at the same time. He's six years older than me. He started as a bantam, and I started as a mite, um, and uh, it it just you know it just grew from there. So um, yeah, we you know it was it's it's a great hockey town. So so in doing the research, did you spend time in San Diego as well playing? Yeah, well, so I was in the Navy, so I I played out there, and uh, I, I basically just walked in and ended up um, you know playing some pretty high level hockey out there. It was kind of like. Nuts and bolts, uh, like old fashioned semi pro league. Oh, nice. Yeah. Where did you play, uh, minor and juniors? Where did you play your junior? Was that in Detroit? So, yeah, I played like um, AAA, yeah, and all of that in the Detroit area, and then um, went from there. And then I was just out in San Diego and happened to walk on out there, got lucky enough to, you know, and, to just walk on. So you were in San Diego and then you came back. Yeah, it's a long story. And then I went back again to play music. Okay. Whole other story. Well, I'm glad I'm, gl I'm and, glad and you came back again. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because we like our listeners to get to know the faces and the names throughout hockey and you are a singer-songwriter. Who are some of your musical influences? Uh well, you know, I um you know, I kind of gravitate toward that uh, Americana, so John Prine obviously um robert earl keen um those types of things steve earl um graham parsons you can go way back and uh so that that's kind of where where i really but yeah you know, i also like that old 
old school rockabilly stuff that that's really, uh, you know, I started playing guitar, um, you know, when I was in high school. Um, so that's what I was sort of known for at the time was as being a rockabilly player. So you were just beating the girls down with a stick, just playing, yeah. just, just finger plucking on a yeah. finger plucking on right a porch on. somewhere. Just, that's right. I like where and, you're going. And with. I have a face for radio, so. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, wait, well, now, now you, you know so, wait. You, you've seen these two faces. Now you know why there's no video in this whole thing. <laughs> so, so how'd you end up at Denison? Um, I was. Uh, the head coach at Newark uh, at the, on the JV team, just quite content. I had coached at Newark um, uh, in all the, my son played for Newark travel, you know, like was just always hanging out. Um, and the, uh, the rink manager at the time, uh, Gary Baldwin, who was just a wonderful guy, he passed away a few years ago and we miss him very, very much, but he's like, you should take this job it was such a joke at the time. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't want to do this. And he's like, come on, do it for me. You know, like I could see you really building something. This was his exact words. So I literally did it for Gary. I, I applied. And, um, when I met, um, you know, the advisor, you know, I kind of went in there trying to blow the interview. Like, listen, if I can't do it my way, I mean, more or less, obviously I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I follow the rules, but I'm like, look, I want to have some autonomy here. I want to build it, recruit, do all this kind of stuff. It, if you're going to treat it like a club team, I'm not interested, but if we want to make this a hockey organization. Um, and then, you know, I found out that, you know, the president of the university is a um, played at Bowdoin, you know, and his um, he's got a couple of nephews in the NHL that are pretty super famous. Um, so I'm like, well, that's good. So it was easy to go, um, to transition from there, but man, what a mess, um, it was when I first took over. And you said, you said you were also coaching at Newark. Do you still do that as well? (laughs) I gave it up last year, but I'm back with a vengeance this year. I'm the assistant coach on the varsity team this year. And I'm also now newly appointed hockey director at, at Newark Ice Hockey Association. So, so you're coaching Denison's team. You're an assistant coach on the Newark varsity team, and now you're the hockey director for the Newark uh, youth organization, correct? During a pandemic, likes of which we haven't seen in 100 years. Yes, to all of us. <laughs> so what do you like to do in your free time? <laughs> people on podcasts. <laughs> well played. Play music. <laughs> well played. Well played. Cash, you... 18, cash 18 cents checks. Yeah. <laughs> from right Spotify. On. Yeah. <laughs> do you think the ability to coach in both college and uh, high school players has helped you coaching and basically relating to the different styles of player or the different maturity levels? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you're all part of the full developmental. I think actually being a parent of a college age, you know, player at the same time that I was learning how to coach a college age player helped me a lot as well. Um, Also, you know, we get a really, really, um, I don't know, just a, just a really good quality person, kid that can come into Denison. And so I really had a lot of help my first year. I had some freshmen that came in. There's only four or five of them. And, you know, um, they believed in my vision. The first day of practice, you should know, I had eight people, really good hockey players, just walk off the ice and said, we're just not putting up with this shit. We're not yeah. peewees. We're not doing it. I'm like, go. And so I kind of just stood there at the door and said, 
anybody else want to go? Because when I close this door, this is the team we have. And we had like 11 kids standing there, about six of them could skate. And that was the team that we began our season with my very first year. But those guys, those freshmen that um, are first years, I can't call them freshmen anymore. (laughs) The first years, um, uh, that was really the, those are the cornerstones, you know, that, that laid the foundation for, for what was to come. Um, and then you've got a few more, some more interest and, um, the school started finding out sort of what was happening. I think they sort of, you know, expected this to move forward, but it was more like a wait and see. Mm -hmm. So as we progressed and I began recruiting and, um, figuring out my way through this in, you know, I had to do it all on my own. There was no precedent for me to look at. I didn't even realize that you could recruit, to, you know, my first year to, to a club team. I'm like, well, you know, let's hope we get some kids that come out. <laughs> I mean, that was really what was happening. And then we moved, moved it forward. Um, it still has a long way to go, but, but I will definitely say we're on the map. When you, when you started, what, what was the biggest thing, I guess, that you thought needed to change? Well, we needed to establish a culture, period. I mean, there was no culture established. It's not anybody's fault. I think that, um, you know, the coach before me um, did a great job for um, several years, but then, you know, had some issues he had to deal with on his own, you know, like just life and couldn't put the time in. And then it just sort of got away from him. Um, And that can happen. Like, I'm really concerned that all the hard work we put in with this, with COVID, is going to have such a negative impact that we have to take a step backwards just when we were really moving forward, especially with recruiting. I have a list of 12 prospects that are really gung ho. I can't even look at them. Right. I can't even get them here for a skate. So um, yeah, there's, there's some things I'm still working through. You became the head coach at Denison in 2015 and this past season, uh, the big red made the move up to from division three to the ACHA division two. Can you lay out for us where the program was on day one and how you were able to climb that ladder? Yeah. Um, when we, when we started day one, you know, we had, um, you know, like I said, guys walking off cause they didn't want to put the time in. Um, and then I had those core freshmen uh, first year players that had uh, that really bought in. And um, at the time we were part of a, another conference. It wasn't the ACHA can't remember what we called it the ncha maybe it was like a whole other league and which it subsequently folded well the national championships were in at newark oh, okay. <laughs> so like yeah so you know even though we weren't participating in it i uh i showed up there and i was watching xavier play um and i went up to their coach um who you know, i still have a great relationship with and i said how'd you get him here he's like build a locker room and I'm like, yeah, because what you don't understand is we had a trailer out in front of the building that everyone just piled their bags in. Then they would go to the to the restroom, the men's room, and turn on the hand dryer and thaw it out before they could go dress before practicing games. This is this is absolutely true. So the 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 biggest first step I made was to was to um, you know just politely ask Dennison, would you be be behind this? And next thing I know. You know, we're at, we're at a meeting. Next thing I know, I'm engaging the alumni. That was the second best move I ever made was I engaged the hockey alumni, which we have some famous people that played hockey at Denison. And um, from there, 
money started pouring in. We have a fully funded program. You know, next thing you know, um, the locker room's built. It's our room. It looks great. It's like a big recruiting tool. Uh, then, you know, um, that puts the rink with, you know, with an asset. So they now have skin in the game. So Newark, you know, Luke Gibb has always been a great partner of ours, even more invested because, you know, we're a tenant now of theirs and it just becomes a better and better relationship. So having the infrastructure in place allowed me to go out and start recruiting. And then I started landing these junior players, um, you know, one or two a season, um, which kind of brings me up to date. So, you know, things are, things are looking up. Nice. Uh, can you, can you speak on those, uh, Famous people. I know I, I read an article about somebody who is uh, yeah, a big Steve, Dennis. And well, I'm... Steve Carell. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, there's just some other people that have done really, really well in life uh, outside of Steve Carell um, that, that I won't say just because as much as I love Steve Carell, I, and, uh, unless it's anonymous, I haven't seen him helping us out so much. We've invited him and I gave him a couple of hockey jerseys, but right. I'm sure that time will come when we need him the most. Sure. We go to build that second sheet that Steve Carell will happy to come. Maybe I don't know. Right. But, well, I mean, the, the Steve Carell Pavilion. I mean, that's I, not, it's I mean, got a good I, ring I to can't, it. I can't speak for him. I think he's, um, you know, a, a very proud member of, you know, Denison alumni. And we're certainly happy to have him as an esteemed hockey alumni. But um, just, you know, like just guys, uh, I don't want to mention their name, but no, man, no, they've, they've really stepped up and they're, they're carrying the ball you know, none of this is possible without the strength of the, of our alumni. Right. So much so that they have their own alumni group. Now, of course, keep in mind, all universities are hurting at this point because of COVID. And, you know, so we've sort of um, called off the dogs on the fundraising, but um, certainly we have enough to keep us going, um, you know, throughout this year anyway, but yeah. you know, we're all wondering what the future holds to be honest. So you, you guys make the jump to Division Two this past season. How would you rate the start of, of, of this new venture, maybe more so than wins and losses? You mean um, with respect to – With respect to coming last, from D3 to, to D2. Yeah, I, I understand. I, I think I understand the question. Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, last year, you know, we were kind of that, you know, that – the kid lost in the enchanted forest. Like we didn't really realize how good and how much of a jump it was, you know, in the D three, there's some good D three teams. And even um, I think that we could have competed and won, um, you know, in the division, the D three division, but um, you know, in just speaking with um, the, the Denison um, athletic department and how they're trying to see hockey grow into a, you know, like a like elite, they call it elite club sport is kind of what they use as their, you know, semantic difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an elite club sport or a, uh, a varsity club sport or whatever, but they're, they're very much behind us. And so I think I, ideally at, at some point, um, you know, you won't see it go in division three NCAA at any point here because there's nobody to play. Right. But I do feel like my goal will be uh, Division One um, ACHA, so that we could play Robert Morris, Toledo. You know, like all those. You know, there's there's colleges that we can compete with. We just can't do it right now. 
let's not forget that we're in the TSCHL, which is the best. We're not yet. We're hoping to become part of that. Um, and we're playing our way in as best we can. Um, and when we do, like, that's a great conference. And, and Denison University, on the best day, has 2,500, 2,800 students playing against Ohio State, which is 40,000. They have 80 people showing up to tryouts. I have 25 this year, and this is a great year. Right. <laughs> Just right. to put it in perspective, like, if I don't go get the talent, I'm not going to have the talent unless I just luck into it. So, um, but you're out there, you're building it. Were you happy yeah. with the progression of where, yeah. are, are you happy with the direction that you're headed in? I mean, I, I would assume so. But yeah, I am. I mean, it's sort of a qualified answer. I was, I know that I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of a spin because, you know, last year was a disaster, um, especially wins and losses. But I think overall the team understands now that this isn't, you know, like we need pure dedication. The culture didn't take a hit. I don't think. I think the you know the team is very tightly bonded, but I think they you know they realize now that you know like it's going to take being in shape and you know really giving everything that they have or or being embarrassed again. So basically, what you said on that your vision you you were dead dead to rights on what you wanted to do and what you wanted yeah. to accomplish. They are now seeing the fruits of that in being able to move from D3 to D2, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully joining the, the, the T with uh, uh, Commissioner Driscoll and those guys. Yeah. And so th- they're understanding that, that you weren't kidding on day one. So you're building, basically you're building from ground up and you're seeing the good positive steps. Is well, that, yeah, that that's exactly right. And, and, you know, just to add to that, um, you know, I'm not going to, we're just not going to rest until, you know, we get there and you, you can ask, you know, Tim Driscoll about how much I hound him about, all right, what's it going to take this year? Look at my strength of schedule. That, <laughs> I, you should, my, our schedule was crazy this year. We had, we had Michigan two games at home. I mean, we, we had, you know, Lake Superior State. and a, uh, We had Clarkson on uh, an outdoor game. Like, it's too bad it all got canceled because it was – not to mention a full TSCHL schedule, except we didn't have Miami, Bowling Green, and – Ohio State on the schedule this year. We played them last year. Did but, you, did you go to Kentucky? Oh, yeah. For a midnight start. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> well, Comm- Commissioner Driscoll said that we could that we could stay in the uh, commissioner's suite down there. Oh yeah. Uh, when, when yeah, when we go. When He's, you go to Lexington. Yeah, he said that uh, he he would give us uh, snacks out of the uh, vending machine. Oh. Yeah, if they're open and if the machine's working. But don't break a skate blade at one thirty in the morning and, you know, have Nothing, it be nothing's your second. Open. No. Nothing's open at that hour? It's, I mean, it was, it was such a fear. I'm sure it'll be fun as, we, as it moves along, but it just was, it was such a shit show, <laughs> that game, that I'm not in a big hurry to, to go down there again. You know, right. it's a good team, you know, good enough. I mean, none of the games I thought represented actually – you know, the, the difference in talent, I think we were a better team than, than we allowed it to show. We just, I don't know what happened to us last year. Well, you know, it's, it's you tough. edit this out because I feel like I'm really down on my team, but yeah, it just no, was no, a no, tough yeah. year last no, year. It's, it's, a growing, it's, it's, it's growing, man. I mean, you know, we, we had the opportunity to grow a, and I know it's not the same level, but to grow a high school team from nine players to top 10 yeah. in the state on a consistent basis. The number of nights we got our ass kicked, uh-huh. And I'm not editing that out. 
Right. I mean, it, it, it does wear on you and there's days, but, and, and I guess the point of one of my questions was, or, or one of the things I said to you was, as long as you're happy with the direction you're going, you're going to take ass whoopings here and well, there, but you know what? At the end of the day, that's, what's going to grow you. Yeah. And you know, every, it, I'm really excited. Talked, that's why I'm so disappointed this year because I'm really excited. Like, I feel like I made such moves this year, you know, when you put the GM hat on and I, and, and, and seeing where I'm at, you know, like I've got some great prep school kids coming on. I've got, um, you know, some, I made a couple killer acquisitions, uh, just, you know, one of the an old and tangy, um, Liberty kid coming on, you know? Nice. And so like, I, I feel like it's, um, it's, you know, this could have been a year that we made, a, you know, dynamic impact. I haven't seen them on the ice yet. I can't tell their quarantine's over with or anything, but like, you never know. I'm always excited. My assistant coach, uh, Patrick Brighton, you know, he always, you know, like, he's like, calm down. You know, you always have to, you know, get, get yourself together. But the truth is, is that, you know, part of me can't wait to see, because I know that what I'm building, like last year, as bad as we were, two things were very clear. I had the best player on the ice at every game sometimes two of the best players on the ice. Now, we know that's not enough to, you know, to win a game. But, you know, when my number four and my number one were the best two players out there, I mean, I have a goalie that's, you know, stopping 60 shots, and he might have let seven in, but he's, you know, but he stopped 60 of them, right? Yeah. I, you know, and, and so I understand that we've made a lot of the right moves. Good. Right. So talking about that, your schedule, <clears throat> it states on your website that you're supposed to be playing uh, Dayton on September 25th and 26th. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, everything is up in the air right now when, in the world of sports. Um, how optimistic are you uh, that, that you'll be playing games in less than a month? We aren't. Um, I have to take that down. We, we, nobody that I know of in the, in the T or anywhere else is playing any games before January 1st. Okay, so now, you... I think we're all going to play, and I'm, what we're hoping it's going to happen is that this ends up being like, you know, everything's a showcase. <laughs> every weekend, we can get four games in and every weekend, you know, like that's really what I want. So we're trying to put one together, and we've invited every team on our schedule from the T um, to show up at Chiller North because they have three sheets, and we'll just play three, you know, three games, you know, whatever, guaranteed three, maybe four if you get to the championship and you can start logging games because good or bad or right or wrong, the ACHA only moved out their national tournament two weeks. I mean, I don't know what good that does anybody. Maybe it's slightly more than that, but there's no way we're going to be able to get 18 games in to even get close to qualifying. I mean, it will be really tough for any of those teams. So I'm afraid that they won't take games with us because they have to take games within their division. So I'm a little bit nervous about who we're going to play. Gotcha. So in addition to your responsibilities with Denison, you coach the, the Newark Generals team, your director of hockey operations. Tell us a little bit about the Ohio Scholastic Hockey League and the USA side of the high school hockey landscape. Uh, we, we had comments from Drew Donahue, uh, a goalie with the Prowlers Hockey Association yeah. on playing junior next season. He felt the OSHL was kind of in the shadows. What can you tell us about the, the uh, OSHL? I understand this point. I'm actually good friends with the Prowler coach. Um, you know, I feel like uh, it's in the shadows, but I also feel like, um, you know, to a large extent, um, 
that league, you know, um, is trying to write itself. They made some, you know, they made some really good decisions over the summer. I thought as far as the board goes, I mean, we're going to see if we're going to have a, a schedule. Um, I do believe that um, it's in the shadows until you get to like uh, states and then you have those, you know, those teams coming to the, to the forefront and also in tournaments, you know, uh, around town, it's, uh, you know, it's OHSAA teams and teams from the, you know, the club league, let's just call it. So I don't have to use all the acronyms, yeah. uh, the club league, you know, they're playing in the finals and they're close games. So, um, you know, with the exception of teams that are perennial powerhouses like St. Ignatius and, you know, uh, Northview and all those guys up there, you know, that, you know, this league down here can hold its own. I'm, if you look at statistically, I think it's, you know, it's a pretty strong league. Nice. And do you have any Ohio born players uh, at Denison that came from the OSHL? Um, from the OSHL. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. Trevor seats played for, um, um, he played for Hilliard. I think he went to um, a prep school, local prep school, but, um, and then I also have uh, um, coming in first year, uh, Jake DeMantova um, from Liberty's team. Good, really good hockey player. Nice. As is Trevor. Trevor's a, he's a hoss, man. He's a big, strong player. Big boy. Yeah. Good. Well, coach, we do appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us. Um, you know, getting the good word out there about Denison, Denison, uh, the universe or the college and this hockey program um, is just another great option for not only Ohio born players, but from players all over. And it needs to be uh, it needs to be put out there. So we're happy that we're able to get you here, get you to talk about it, get you to uh, and I hate to say the word promote it, but promote it because it's got to be uh, known. It's got to be known that this is an, another really good option for players. Uh, to play at the collegiate level. We talked with many, when we talked to Commissioner Driscoll, we talked about the ACHA. It, what an uh, an unbelievable viable option for players that some just say, oh, that's just the ACHA. Really? What the ACHA has done over the last 15 years is amazing. And it's with it's the hard work with guys like yourself and, and, and Commissioner Driscoll and others, uh, Coach Bell from OU. Those guys are doing a hell of a job. And so we thank you for that. And, and we are uh, thankful that you came on here to, spread the good word about Denison hockey and uh, the ACHA. Well, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity. I'm um, just at a note to closing is that, um, you know, it's a very viable option. In fact, if you look at the, the talent um, and the cost of playing like tier three juniors, like at Denison, if you're recruited and make the team, there's no cost to play. It's like a D three sport. Now that's only true at Denison. I mean, but you know, even still you're not, you're not paying to play. Uh, necessarily uh, if you come here. So that's just something to think about. And I think that's, I think that's huge. I'm glad that you said that because uh, unfortunately some of the ACHA teams have to charge and, and it's sure. a, it's a pretty he hefty bill for some of these uh, young men and women that play in the ACHA. So to have that advantage of saying, Hey, listen, if you're choosing between two different schools and you can get what you're looking for educationally out of both schools, Here's what Denison has to offer to you on the hockey side. Of it. That's true. So I'm glad I'm glad you were able to, to, to get that out because that's very important. Yep. So, Coach, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to say this because I'm an optimistic kind of guy. Good luck this season. Thank you. I know you're going to get your 18-plus games in. Um, 
I know you probably are going to hate going back to Kentucky if you have to go there, but it is what it is. Um, but good luck this season. And, uh, you know, we look forward to uh, following you along and, and having you on again to talk more about Dennis and hockey. It was my pleasure. Um, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Well, we pulled back home and we're back in North Olmsted, Ohio, for our next guest from the New York Rangers, Tim Gettinger. Our next guest grew up playing right here in Cleveland. He was a member of the Cleveland Barons organization before being drafted 49th by the Sioux Greyhounds in the 2014 OHL Priority Selections. He spent the next four years in Sault Ste. Marie with the Greyhounds, increasing his point totals and improving his game. In 2016, he was drafted in the fifth round, 141st overall by the New York Rangers in the 2016 NHL Entry Draft. A 2014 and 15 silver medalist in the Five Nations Cup. 2014-15 OHL First Team All-Rookie. 2015 and 16 USA Hockey CCM All-American Prospects Game Participant. And a 2015-16 CHL Top Prospect Game Participant. Began his NHL career on November 24th, 2018 at Madison Square Garden against the Washington Capitals. He was a 2017-18 Sault Ste. Marie Humanitarian Award recipient. Please welcome on air from the New York Rangers and District 5 of the SEL, Tim Gettinger. Welcome, Tim. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. No problem. Tim, uh, talk us a little bit about your, how you got started in hockey. Uh, you know, I mentioned you grew up here in Cleveland area, suburb. Um, so just talk a little bit about your path through hockey. Uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, I was born in Cleveland. I uh, lived here my whole life. Um, I played with the Barons growing up all the way until uh, I left for Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, my brother was played for the Barons growing up too. So he kind of got me into hockey at a young age and um, I didn't really have a choice. He kind of was forcing me into hockey and then uh, played with the Barons. Both of us did. And then, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into hockey. So you played uh, U16 Barons. And a lot of the guys that you played with went the NCAA route versus the major junior route that, that you went. Was major junior always your plan? Um, no, I, it wasn't always the plan. Um, I kind of was leaning towards college, kind of growing up in, in, in the Cleveland area. College hockey so big uh, in the States. And then uh, towards my draft year, I just I kind of learned more and more about the OHL and kind of what it was about. And then me and my family made the decision for me. Uh, it was just more of the kind of the style of play, uh, puck possession, uh, fast pace. I just thought for my, for my game, it fit me the best. And it's a decision I was glad I chose. So you had, uh, you know, so you go up to the Sioux. Uh, you were, how old were you when you moved up there? Like eight, nine hours away, right? Yeah, 16. 16 years old. You leave home. Uh, you're living with a, a, a billet family. Uh, eight or nine hours away, and your first year, your rookie campaign, uh, you were named first-team all-rookie. Was there an acclimation period to get adjusted to the OHL game one, and then two, to being away from home at 16 years old? Yeah, I think there's definitely a period of time it takes a while to get used to. Uh, being 16, moving away from your friends and family, it's never easy. Um, and, the, and the fact like going to the OHL where – there's so many skilled players, so many big, strong players. Um, it's definitely something to get used to coming coming from minor hockey. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it definitely took a couple months to get comfortable and uh, get used to the speed in the game uh, that the OHL was a pair. What was it like hockey. trying to get used to 
living away from home at 16 and, and gaining those responsibilities at a young, as a young age? Uh, it was tough at first. Um, kind of being away, I had my, my grandparents actually lived about an hour away from Sault Ste. Marie. So they were up all the time, which helped a lot. But being away from being away from my family was hard. But I had a great bill of family up in the Sioux that brought me in and made it so easy for me to move into their house and made me feel comfortable. So um, if it wasn't for them, it, it probably would have been tougher, but they were so great for me and I, I couldn't be more grateful for it. So what does the, what does the family do? Did they have kids? Yeah, they had one boy. All right. So he sees this six, six monster roll through the door. Who's going to be an NHL player. What, how was your relationship with the kid? Uh, it was really good. We, uh, I lived there all four, four years I was there. Um, and then each year we kind of got closer and closer. And I, I actually went up there last summer to see a couple of my buddies there and I went and visited them and he, he's getting tall like me too. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I had a great relationship with did, all of them. Did, uh, did he play players. hockey as well? Did he play hockey? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a hockey player too. Well, there you go. Good. Good. So they don't hand out letters to American kids easily in the Ontario hockey league. What do you think you did or what did, what did the team tell you in your first year at Sault Ste. Marie to get you the A in just your second season? Uh, yeah, that was, that was something I, I didn't think I, I was expecting right away. Um, it's something I was grateful to get, but just after that first year, we had so many, we had an older team, um, brought in some older guys, but we had an older team to start. And then that second year, we, we didn't have the best team, but we were really, really young so they wanted to go with a younger leadership core to kind of lead us the next couple of years and I was grateful enough to be a part of that and uh it was pretty awesome nice. so every kid grows up that plays hockey you know they stick handles in the in the basement or the uh, uh driveway and they <clears throat> they dream about being an NHL player or playing pro hockey uh at what point in your career did you really think I can make pro hockey uh my career for me, I think it was probably after like getting drafted was probably kind of the start of it and, and realizing like all the hard work, but uh, it was just kind of beginning from there. And then I think for me, once, once I was able to sign uh, my entry level was kind of the, the time I started to realize like, this is, this is going to be my living and uh, but it's only the start. And, but I think probably signing my first, first contract was the beginning. Was there was there as you're as you're working your tail off, trying to improve in a, in the in the OHL, what are you working toward? Just to be the best Ontario hockey player you can be, best major junior you can be, or was there any outside like, hey, if if this really starts to develop, then maybe pro is is a possibility? Or what were your thoughts? Um, kind of going when I left here, went there when I was 16. I, I really wasn't sure what to expect. Um, obviously it's every kid's dream to get drafted but just kind of going there and just especially my first year just kind of see see what the league's about what kind of um, players there were and it was definitely an eye-opening experience for me right away and then just each year I just tried to to get better as a player but also like as a teammate off the ice and then um, I just kind of let the other stuff fall into place but it was more so just at the time uh, being a good team guy for the most part nice so you're drafted in 2016, entry-level draft by the New York Rangers. What is that draft day like for you? What, what emotions are going through your head? And, and add on to that, not only are you getting drafted in the NHL, 
the New York Rangers are the team that's choosing you. What was what what was going through your head during all that that whole process? Yeah, I mean that's one of those it's one of those days you're never going to forgive for sure. Um, I actually I didn't go to the draft. I was here at a buddy's house. We had a family party with friends and family and everything, and we were sitting there watching. And then being able to see see your name come up on the screen, and then getting a call uh, from the Rangers was it's hard to kind of remember what went through my mind at that time, but um, it was great being around friends and family. Uh, it was a great celebration for sure. So you were here in Cleveland on draft day? Yeah, I was. Yeah. All right. So you get drafted, you then return to the Sioux. Um, you know, I'm going to use this word confidence, but not, not to be confused with cockiness, but did you feel an increase in confidence in your game uh, after you were drafted? Did that boost you a little bit? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, kind of in, in my draft year, it's similar with a lot of guys. It's a tough year. Um, a lot of eyes on you. You know how your dream's getting there, but uh, it's always a tough year for some guys. So it was personally for me, it was a tough, tough year. So going into that third year, um, I wanted to build kind of being, being drafted was, but, but now it's time to earn a contract. So I just kind of gave me that extra extra ounce of confidence going into the next year and then going to training camp with the Rangers, um, seeing all those guys, um, seeing what they do on a daily basis, uh, and then taking it back to me to the Sioux was definitely helped my confidence moving forward. For sure. Did you, did you feel, uh, I mean, not, not that your work ethic or, or your strive to, to continue to climb the, the, the ladder, but did you feel some weight off your shoulders after draft day uh, that maybe allowed you to, to feel a little bit more comfortable uh, that third year? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, the second year what, for, for me personally, wasn't my best. And, and I, and I knew that going forward, but being drafted, um, definitely took some of that off, but I knew it was just, just the beginning of what was ahead. And, um, that I just kind of kept moving forward with that. To the, to the, you obviously once drafted, you went to rookie camp and, and all that. What did the Rangers tell you or what does the organization, yeah, the, the Ranger organization tell you that maybe, I don't know, I guess things to work on as you head back to the Sioux. Did, did they give you a lot of good insight and said, hey, you know, we like this, we like this, we like this. We need to see you improve here. Yeah, they always they always are giving feedback and kind of what they like, what they don't like. But um, biggest thing for me is just being a bigger guy, um, using my size at all times, whether it's uh, – getting in on the four check, being more physical, um, just kind of my skating, obviously being a bigger guy is something to always work on, but, um, just being, being a bigger guy is just, uh, make sure I'm using my size at, at all times on the ice. So you get the call, you're, you're, you're with the American league team in Hartford. You get the call November 24th, 2018. You're going to play your first NHL game. It's going to be at Madison square garden. You're playing the Washington capitals, and everything that comes with them, the whole circus that comes with the Capitals. What, how did that all transpire? And what was your first reaction when you found out you were going to be playing in the NHL? Uh, we were actually, we were in Hartford. Well, I was in Hartford, but we, we were on the road playing um, that night. Uh, got to the rink like normal, uh, started warming up normally. And then the coach called me in the called me into the office and just said, Hey, you're going up. Um, and at the time I, 
probably didn't even say anything. I probably just stared at him because I, I couldn't believe what was going on. And then um, gave my mom and dad, my brother and sister, I gave them all a call. And it, it was an emotional call because it, it was something I've kind of worked for my whole life. Uh, it's my dream since I was a kid. And then um, they were all able to get out to the game and come watch, which 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 helped a lot. But um, similar to kind of drafty, it's one of those things uh, you're definitely going to remember the rest of your life. So do the guys – to, to, to the current players, do they give you words of advice? Did the organization give you words of advice? I mean, I'm sure you're nervous as all can be, you know, here it is. This is what I dreamed about. And, oh, by the way, you're playing at Madison Square Garden, damn near the mecca of hockey. And what what words of advice did maybe teammates or, or other personnel give you? For me, I mean, everyone in that organization has been great, players, coaches, uh, management, but once I got there, it was just, they all congratulated me, um, but just told me to kind of go out there and play my game and, and play how I, what got me called up, um, being physical, playing my game. And that that's just all, that's kind of what they said was just stick to, to what got me there. And, and that's what I tried to do. So obviously 2020 has been very unconventional for everybody. Um, can only imagine what it must be like for a pro athlete like yourself to where routine is so important. Um, you know, with the NHL starting back in August, I'm sure your cycles and resting got all screwed up. Um, what's your normal uh, summer routine like uh, for training? Uh, and then how did that have to be altered uh, through all this uh, COVID-19 uh, mess? Um, for me, it's usually um, around April or May is kind of when I start uh, working out once I'm home, depending on what happens during the season. Um, I like to take a little bit of a break. Um, from just kind of reset after the long season. And then um, I'm in the gym every day. Um, then around June, June, July, it's really when I start to get on the ice more and more. Um, but yeah, and then usually I leave around September, but this with the whole COVID and everything going on, it was a little different this year. But usually uh, from May till September, I'm on the ice every day or, and working out every day. So how has is, how is it changed for you now? What has, has the organization told you when you'll report or when they're think, when camps will happen or anything like that? Um, I'm, last time I heard that they were thinking around no, beginning of November, so hopefully starting up camp again. So uh, right now it's kind of get back into the early summer mindset, uh, working out and, and skating every day. So I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, so I, I do apologize for being the millionth and one one person, but um, since you've been back from Toronto, but can you take us inside the bubble? Well, what was life like for players and coaches and personnel inside the bubble? Um, I, I, a lot of people have been watching hockey, and we've been very interested in knowing what's going, like, you know, what's the day like in the bubble? And having you gone through it, uh, give our listeners an idea of what that is like. Um, yeah, so we, we got to New York about two, two and a half weeks earlier. We had like a training camp there to get ready to head to Toronto, but usually a day would be, uh, with practice, you get up, they, you go down for breakfast, um, you head to the rink. So that's pretty much the only time you're really out of the bubble is when you're driving to the practice rink. Um, you, you have your practice, your lift or whatever, and head back. Um, and then lunch and dinners and uh, at the hotel also. So a lot of just kind of hanging out, um, playing video games. We had a, 
a golf simulator, but they have a bunch of ping pong tables, cornhole, all that stuff there too. So um, a lot of just kind of hanging around the hotel. What was the, what was the top game? What's the, what's the hot game that everybody's playing and competing in for video games? Uh, probably Call of Duty. Okay. Everyone's been playing that. So. How'd you, how'd you fare? Not bad. Not bad. I, I love playing video games. Though. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you, did you, did you, I mean, I, I, did you win money? Did you, did you take a couple bucks off these guys or was it pretty much give and take? Uh, just kind of give and take. Okay. I, I've never played Call of Duty once in my life, so I don't know. Is it possible to bet on Call of Duty? Uh, you can find ways to bet on it. Well, you can find ways to bet on anything, Tim, but yeah. I mean, I mean, hell, you can find a way to bet if this thing records or not. Right. So who knows? Right. Um, yes. you know, well, so was, I mean, obviously you had golf simulators. Was there any inter- interaction with other teams, uh, at all or other players from, from different teams? Uh, yeah, there was, um, the first couple days we got there, it was kind of like, you, you did your practice, your lift, you, you went down for meals, but it was more so like a quarantine. You kind of stayed yourself, your group. Um, but then once that, I think it was four or five days after we got there and that went on, then it was, you were allowed kind of anywhere in the bubble uh, to eat, um, kind of do whatever. But um, I mean, you're, every time you get in the elevator, you go down the lobby, you're running, running into um, different teams, different players and all that. But after those first four or five days, it was it was just kind of you can do whatever. So was, I, I, everyone, I'm sorry, Jay, everyone has seen the pictures of the Toronto Maple Leafs floor, right? You know, they had it all decked out. Did they do that for every team? Uh, I think so, yes. Okay. Was there an area, I mean, I, I've seen pictures and video of, of like a courtyard where there was basketball and there may be some picnic tables and outdoor eating. Was Was that just – was that going as much as possible or was it pretty much just the camera happened to be on and catch like three guys there? No, that, that stuff was kind of going on um, all day. We had uh, food trucks and everything outside. And then they had a big uh, room downstairs with the, they had a couple more golf simulators, ping pong tables, uh, all that kind of stuff. So there was, um, if you were in your room, you could be down there kind of, hanging out with guys or, or whatever, but it was, they did such a great job um, to help guys pass time and, and the setup was great. So it doesn't, I mean, it, it's not ideal, right? And, and, and we get that, but it sounds like the NHL did a really nice job of making it uh, the best that they could uh, and as com- comfortable as possible for the players. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, all of us were saying like, obviously with the situation going on um, and, tough times and everything but everything they did and set up wise like it's been going it's been going great but they they did such a good job being able to set it up and letting the guys uh be able to play was there anything weird about it was there anything like all right you're playing an empty arena but uh you know you can hear on tv where they're pumping in the note the crowd noise um you're you're in a uh one home everybody's basically in one home at least in the east and then in the west uh, there's 11 different teams in there. Did any of this seem, I mean, obviously it's, it's different, but did any of it seem just like, wow, this is just real weird here? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just weird. You get there, like you pull into the hotel and that that's kind of where you're at the rest of the day. Um, it's not really any places you could go, but probably 
being when you walk to the rink, when you walk outside the hotel and, and take the walkway they set up and it's the, the fences are up, you can't see in or out. Um, you walk to the rink, you don't see any, uh, see any other people or anything. That's probably the, the one time where it was, it, it definitely hit you. It was what was going on in the weird circumstances. I bet you could hear everything going on on the ice. Yeah. I mean, if, even if the music was going or if it was just gameplay going on, like, which I thought was really cool. You could, you could hear everyone, the coaches, players on the ice. Uh, it kind of gave a, a different perspective sitting up in the stands. I really wish the NHL would go to a uh, pay-per-view type event where you could listen to mic'd up players and mic'd up things because I, I love listening to the players talk. I love hearing what people have to say, things like that. I just think that'd be entertainment out the wazoo for the hockey fan if they could do that in season. I know, obviously, you'd have to be pay-per-view based on the language. Yeah. I get it. It's all good. That, that's what I want to hear. That's entertaining to me. Maybe, but, maybe, maybe you just gave HBO an idea, you know? Well, I really hope so. so <laughs> Tim, what, what's next for you? What, what, uh, right back to training and anything, anything else planned? Are you going to be able to get away and maybe get, get away from hockey for a little bit? Or is it just right back into training and go, go, go? Uh, once I got back, I've been home about a week, but, uh, I was up at my girlfriend's house, but, it's a try to take off about a week or two uh, off the ice and just kind of reset real quick before these next, next couple months come up, uh, just skating and working out again. But uh, yesterday I kind of started up again, but I skating three times a week, working out every day. So now just kind of starting up again and getting ready for training camp whenever it comes. Well, Tim, we, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to come and talk to us uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself, about your growing up here in Cleveland, a little bit about the your time uh, through pro hockey. And then, obviously, you know, I don't know how many players or personnel uh, total uh, have, have been involved in the two different bubbles between the East and the West, uh, but you have the distinct honor of at least telling your grandchildren one day that you we're in the 2020 NHL bubble, which, you know, I don't know how many people, again, it's not, it's going to be a very small amount of people that can say that, but um, so thanks for coming on and talking to our listeners and us about uh, your experience there. And uh, you know, best of luck in the future. We're going to definitely keep following you. We'd like to have you back on uh, uh, maybe once the season gets to somewhat normalcy uh, and uh, um, go from there. So again, thanks a lot. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project. Ohio Hockey Project recognizes that Cleveland hockey players need to have a truly homegrown, world-class development opportunity right here at home. The project takes a great pride and responsibility being Cleveland's first and original independent skills development organization that sets the industry standard and relentless works to break that standard year in and year out. From on-ice sessions to dryland session, classroom and video analysis, the Ohio Hockey Project surrounds athletes with every resource they could ever need. couple great interviews there with coach of Denison University, Jeff German, and New York Ranger and North Olmstead's own Tim Gettinger. Man, what a great uh, uh, few interviews there. You know, let's start off with Jeff German, who's trying to build this uh, organization at Denison. He's got the alumni backing him. He's got a vision and a model that I think 
if he sticks to it, which it sounds like he will and he can, uh, I think Dennison will be able to be up there uh, playing some Division One ACHA hockey soon. Some of what I heard in talking to Coach was that, you know, the, the effects that, that COVID is having on, on a lot of people, that the uncertainty, right? So he starts out and he sets the precedent of how things are going to go and he, he presents his vision. Like you said, he has the backing of the school. He has the backing of the alumni. And, you know, you go on a, a very difficult step in, in moving from people don't realize how hard it is to go from different level to level. Yeah. You could be the, the big fish in a small pond here and you go somewhere else and well, you just shrunk back down to the little fish, big pond. He takes the team from, you know, I, I don't want to say uncertainty, if you will, he gives it a vision. He gives it a plan. He uh, puts it in motion. They go from division three to division two. It's a big jump. And now COVID hits and they're probably not going to end up playing until, you know, later, maybe Later this year, hopefully first of next year, he's got the things in place. It's just a matter of keep pushing through. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that it's important to say, I mean, we, we you know, I, again, the saying Rome wasn't built in a day. I get that. Uh, we live in such an Internet society today, though, to where everything has to happen now. And if it doesn't happen now, then there must be something wrong, right? right. If you can't get on a website right now or if you can't get on an app right now, something's wrong with my computer or my phone. Right? If you don't see direct success right now, that's okay because there's a vision, there's a model. And, and, and Coach German has, has, has that vision, has that model. You know, and it, it's going to take some time. But, but good day, hey, good for Denison University because they have someone who's got a vision and a model that wants to get them to the highest level they can go. And he was realistic. And I, I really, really appreciate the realism that he said, we're not going to play Division III NCAA. You know, he was he was realistic about it. A lot of people have trouble being real these days, but he was real about that. We're going to try to get to ACHA Division One. That's the highest we can go. Yeah, not can go, but that's the highest that that his model or whatever. I'm sure if they came to him and said, "We're going to play Division Three, and you're going to play in the SUNY yeah. League," okay, yeah. okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is though he's a realist about where he wants his team to go. And you know what? Good for Denison University. Good for their alumni good for their backers because they got a guy who's got passion to get them there. Well, you know, you got, you got, it's important to have goals and, and goals of every, every level. So, you know, for high school kids, they want to win a state tournament. That's fantastic. Everybody does. I want to play in the NHL. Okay. Well, everybody does. What are your in, in, interim goals? What are your smaller goals, the stepping stones to get to those larger goals? Right. And he's on the path of doing that. And it's, it's awesome what he's doing. He's making the good connections with, you know, uh, Commissioner Driscoll and the guys in the T, and he's he's playing a T schedule. He's playing an ACE, a high level ACHA schedule. So everything's in place. It's just a matter of working all the kinks out. And and Dennison is going to take off. They have they have the foundation around it to be able to make those jumps. It's just going to take time. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Absolutely. And what I love about this, and I think everyone needs to understand, uh, especially because we're we're focusing on Ohio, uh, is that we have another great opportunity for Ohio hockey players to go and play at an awesome, an awesome institution educationally and a guy who really wants to build a program, but just another great uh, opportunity. Yep. Yes, sir. And then we, what a great conversation with Tim Gettinger about uh, his time in Ohio playing for the Barons, then moving on to the Sioux uh, and then going up and playing for Hartford and then getting called up to the Rangers. I love those call-up stories. You know, those call-up stories are great. 
You know, every 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 pro that we've had on so far, we've asked about their first uh, uh, game, their first call up. It just those things are just they're a great story. I like. I always love the 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 first goal or the or the first call up stories because, like he even said, he goes, you know, he he was in they were in Bridgeport playing and he makes a call to his mom and dad, and he's like, that was an emotional call. Yeah. I mean, you're living out your childhood dream. And you not know, that he's a, not that he's an old man. No, he's twenty years old. He's, he's a young kid, right? And and he's 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 starting his pro hockey career, so to speak. I know he's played two years now, but but those stories, like I, I love watching the clips on on TV when they show a kid getting his first game and and he scores his goal, and there's mom and dad bawling their eyes out, yeah. and there's not a dry eye in half the houses in North America watching because you live through that. And it's funny watching him answer those questions and watching every guy we've asked so far. Not that they're whole hum about it. They're very humble about it. You know, they yeah, don't want to do you, But we're you, sitting here going, tell us about it. Tell us about it. My face is pressed against the screen. Timmy, what was that like? What was that like? What was yeah, that like? But you, you can tell, though. I mean, with everyone that we've, sp- we've spoken to, you know, whether their first game in the NHL was 25 years ago or it was a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah. When, when they answer the, those questions, and they've had the, they've had the opportunity. What, uh, an opportunity, like you said, Jay, that every – kid that plays this game, stick handles in the, in the basement or the, the driveway, dreams of saying, I just scored an NHL goal, or I just played an NHL game, right? Yep. yep. Every single pro that we've talked to that's played in the NHL has said it, it, their, their emotion on their face. And we can see them. I mean, yep. for our listeners that know, we, we do this as a Zoom call, and we can see the emotion on their face. It's a very emotional conversation when they talk about it. Every one of them starts out straight faced and that slow smile creeps in Yeah, as you can see them playing it out in their head. Yeah. And that there's, there's no better feeling in what we get to do with this, this platform medium, whatever you want to call it, than to watch that because it's just the four of us sitting here and you watch that smile come over their face. And it's like, you want to pull it out more because you want to know more. And they're all gracious with their time. They're all gracious with their answers. They tell us stuff. Some of it we can air, some of it we can't. But it's always 100% genuine. Yeah. So it's so much fun to do. You know, and I, and I have to say this, that, you know, we, we haven't really made a big mention about this, but the, the whole Ohio Hockey Digest, uh, when Scott created this, it was, it was an informational platform or medium, like you said, Jay, that um, – just gave information uh, that kind of broadcasted information that people could read uh, throughout the state of Ohio. What I think that, that Scott has done with this platform of the Ohio hockey project project, and now the on air, or I'm sorry, the Ohio hockey digest. And then the on air, no free ads. Yeah. Yeah. No free ads. <laughs> Ross, no free ads. And then the Ohio and then the on air uh, podcast is if we we've gotten able to really like dive into some, some conversations of players, coaches, uh, commissioners that we've never, I don't think he would have ever had uh, been writing about. Right. And I, and I think this is, this is not, not huge for him, but it's huge for the hockey community. I mean, we are, like you said, we've said this a hundred times. We are so fortunate to be able to have this, you know, two hours a week that we can dive in to hockey. Right. Cause we didn't have it, but, this was something that when, when it was brought up to say, let's do a podcast, let's really continue the hockey conversation in Ohio. Well, th- when we get hockey back, 
man, we're still getting, this is going to be fun. Oh yeah. You know? So we're we're not winning Emmys for this. We're having a good time. We get to see each other weekly and we get to talk hockey and, but we've been so fortunate and blessed to have the people put in front of us. And the biggest thing was trying to keep it as, as conversational as possible. As real as possible, right? hundred percent. Because, real. because look, I, I could sit here and yes, the questions for those, obviously they cannot see and do not know. Yes. Our, our questions are written out, but you get into these conversations and asking questions and you get to get the feeling out of what they're telling you. And you get these little, these little nuggets that nobody else is really privy to. And I don't mean for us, I mean, for the listeners in general, that you're learning that these people to a man are just normal individuals that are giving to li- getting to live out their dream. Right. And, and, and they're very open to sharing that with you because why not, man? I mean, I, 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 I guess I, I mean, I guess for us, like tonight was, I was looking forward to, to today, uh, to, to our interviews because, you know, I, I really love the fact that we had a small school here in our state that's trying to push hockey. Yep. Um, and as an, as an educator for the last 19 years, uh, Denison's an unbelievable institution. And if we're able to get kids to go there and play uh, competitive hockey, by the way, for free, yep. uh, then that would be great. And then also have the opportunity to talk to Tim Gettinger about his, his career. But not only that, but what everyone really t- wants to know about, like what the hell happens in the bubble? Like we see this and that, yada, yada on TV. Okay, well, we had, we had the opportunity to talk to someone who lived it. Yep. You know, and that's the thing, like, like I, I know the Rangers got knocked out. I get that. But, like, a guy like Tim Gettinger gets to say, do you remember during that crazy-ass pandemic of 2020, I was able to get in the bubble. I was in the bubble. You know, yeah. that, uh, you know, I'm sure to those guys, they wanted to stay in the bubble. I, again, I get that. But they were able to, you know, he's able to tell that story. Yeah. So I mean, you, you get the chance to be a captain of an OHL team and, you get the chance to be drafted both into the OHL and into the NHL. You get to play an NHL game at Madison Square Garden as the home team with the New York fans as your, your home crowd. I mean, these are experiences. I mean, you know, we spoke with, with Tim about uh, Coach Balsman and, and the experiences he had sitting across from Wayne Gretzky and, and coaching Sidney Crosby and even Ian Moran giving a pass to Mario Lemieux and and we can go down the list. I mean, they all every player has some experience that nobody else has had. Right. I mean, right. yes, you, you and I have shared similar experiences, but your take on it is different than my take on it, and you get something from it different than I do. And we get to bring those people to listeners. It's, it's a lot of fun, man. It is. It, it is, is a lot well, of fun. Well, hey, that's a wrap on episode 19 of On Air, the Stevie Y edition. A big thank you to our guest from Denison University. Big Red head coach, Jeff German. And from the New York Rangers, Tim Gettinger. Check us out next week when our guests will be the 2020 finalists for the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award, Executive Director of the Columbus Ice Hockey Club, Mr. John Hafferman, and the Miami University all-time points leader, as well as the all-time assist leader, head coach of the Amherst Steel Comets, Mr. Steve Morris. You can find the on-air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episode archives as well as lists of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continuing to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the 
Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.